Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hey guys, it's Renee here. And guess what? I have to say, Happy New Year to everybody because we are finally in 2022, although I must say I feel like it's been 2022 for a while. But anyway, Happy New Year. What did you guys do? I My plans got um, interrupted actually because we were meant to go out with good friends of ours and one of our friends got COVID. And so Cameron and I ended up at the drive-in watching The Matrix. So there you go. But anyway, um, guys, if you were with me last year, I started a bit of a fun series. Well, kind of fun, kind of creepy, kind of scary, called The Crime Club. But bear with me. If you think you don't like crime, you are going to love today's episode. I've got a, an amazing guest who I will introduce in just a moment. Then I had a bit of a break because we did a Christmas episode. Then I had one week break. I've only taken off one week this year. So we are back to our crime podcast today. And I am very excited. But to add to the mystery of this being crime, I cannot fully reveal the identity of my guest today, other than to say that her name is Victoria. So welcome, Victoria. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Renee. Thank you so much for having me. So excited for this. I know. I am so excited about (laughs) the direction that we're going to go today and what we're talking about. Now, we will talk a little bit about you so people Mm -hmm. know a little bit of who is this mystery voice. (laughs) Yes. We're Zooming. We're not putting out the visual, only the audio. Um, we are we are protecting your identity because of the field of work, which sounds so yeah. so amazingly mysterious. <laughs> but tell us tell us a little bit of what you can about yourself. Yeah, sure. So um, yes, I'm Victoria. So I've I'm currently studying psychology. I'm towards the end of my studies at the moment. So I've been studying for six years. This next year will be my seventh. Um, so on my way to becoming a clinical psychologist. Um, so as part of that, I've done some criminology subjects um, during my degree, and I've also had the opportunity to work in prisons, doing some volunteering and some placements there as well. Um, so that's been amazing. And I guess that's what's brought my passion for crime and that all things in the crime world. Um, and then aside from my studies, I also help to um, lead the youth group in my local church as well. So I guess a completely different field, but they do relate in some different ways, kind of. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm also really involved in that and working with young people as well. Yeah, that is that is a very mixed bag of things yeah. to do. That's amazing. So let's just talk yeah. about your study for a minute because, yeah, sure. because my daughter, Georgia, she started off doing what, you, um, what you're doing. She got oh, into cool. honours in psych science, but she didn't yeah. So much the research side of it, and she swapped over to social work, which is what yes. she's doing now, yeah. um, because it's a lot of study, right? So even yeah. after your four years, you really, to be a psychologist, you need to go on and do your masters. Your masters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're in your seventh year. So next year, yes, this year. Sorry, yep, I'm in my seventh year. Sorry, it's so hard to think about what year this even is. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yes. Oh, sorry, that's right. We're in 2022. Yes. <laughs> I forget. Um, so tell me a little bit about your study. Like what, you know, being a clinical psychologist, that's pretty full on. Like what kind of work are you hoping to do? 
Yeah, so obviously the field is pretty broad. Um, yeah. And like you said, a lot of the studies um, going through my degrees, we're really encouraged to do research as well. So that can actually be part of what I do eventually. Um, and I've done some pretty interesting topics about crime related. So like looking at um, different tools that we use in the um, prison system and seeing whether they work well or not. Um, so I'm interested in the research stuff too, but um, yeah, really what I love, what I'd love to do is continue to work in prisons and running, you know, one-on-one therapies or group therapies, working with the, specifically, I've got a lot of experience working with the men in prison. So um, that's the kind of stuff I'd love to continue to do, but yeah, it's such a broad field. So there's even more specific things within that too. Okay. Now I can see you, everyone else can only hear your voice. You are a small, <laughs> young female. Yes. <laughs> I want to know, this is my first question. Yeah. You said earlier on that you volunteer, you went and did some volunteer work in prisons. Now, yeah. what the heck? I mean, yeah. I volunteered in year 10 in a nursing home. Yeah. I volunteered in my church. I have never thought to volunteer in a prison. How on yeah. earth did you want to do that and then get into that for those that perhaps are interested? Yes. So, um, yeah, it was, it was really just a, I I think it's a God thing. It really just happened that, um, I knew someone who worked within the system already. Um, and so I had rent, they had randomly actually approached me and been like, Hey, I know this person who's a clinical psychologist. I know you're interested in psychology. Um, back then I was only in my bachelor, so I hadn't really furthered my studies yet. I wasn't a hundred percent sure I was going to get into this stream. And they said, do you want to meet up with a clinical psychologist that works in the prisons and just have a chat with them? And so I did. And then that person was kind enough to say, hey, we know some people who are actually running a program in the prison. Um, Would you like to get on board and sit in on those programs? Um, And I just kept saying yes and got in, got to sit in on some group therapy with them. So that was, yeah, so cool. Oh, wow. So we'll talk yeah. about that group, the therapy and that, that you yeah. that you sit in with them a bit a bit after. Mm-hmm. Now, this is probably an interesting thing for some people to hear. I think yeah. a lot of people that want to work in the crime field tend to go down the line of studying law and criminology. Yes. So, yeah. so you've yeah. gone down the route of doing psychology. Well, that was my debate at the start. And you, after year 12, I was actually um, applied for and started one week of a double degree in law and arts. Um, because I wanted to do psychology in the arts degree and then do law as well. Because, yeah, that's the dilemma. It's either the law route or the, like, psych route. So um, I started that, but then I was like, nah, this is too much reading. This is too much. <laughs> the study is too full on for law. So um, I swapped to psychology and I never wanted to change after that. So how do you become a criminal psychologist then? Yeah, so there's there's no specific stream for criminal psychologists. It's called forensic psychology. Um, and that really you do, I'm the pathway that I can take is by just doing my clinical psychology masters, get through that. And then you can do two years of supervision with a forensic psychologist. That means that you can be endorsed as a forensic psychologist. Okay. Unfortunately, that's what did you know? That's yes. what you're doing? Okay. Oh, that's what I'd like to do eventually. Yes. Okay. Um, but I'm taking the clinical stream first because it just keeps my options open, but you can also study a forensic masters, like a forensic clinical masters as well. Um, so there's all different options to take. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so you must be a crime podcast slash doco fan. Now yeah. Isaiah, Isaiah and I did the episode. I felt kind of bad because here we are like laughing and just having a hoot of a time <laughs> talking about how crime podcasts is like yeah. therapy. Um, but are you a bit of a fan as well? Absolutely. Especially documentaries. I get behind a lot of those. It's, it's addictive. <laughs> 
Yeah, I actually watched one last night. With yeah, Jordan. what did you watch? I watched. Um, I can't. I don't know. She had to. It wasn't on Netflix or anything. I don't know how we watched it. She mirrored it from her phone. But we watched the um, the one about the Turpin family. The okay. Turpin. Have you? Have you? Have I don't you- think I've heard of that. Oh my gosh! It's, <laughs> I'll put it on my list to watch. Put it on your list. It's really yeah. it goes for like an hour and a half, and it's okay. about this this couple who full on Christians, by the way. Her, oh. Yeah, the wife, her father was a preacher, so this couple get married. There's a bit of an age gap between them. They have thirteen children. Oh wow! Yeah, but after they have about six children, all of a sudden, I don't know what happens, but they um, they lock the children up. They um, oh, yeah, God. yeah, and they they keep moving around, and in the end, they get found out. But the eldest mm-hmm. was twenty nine before the seventeen year old escaped. Um, they didn't know anything. They didn't know what a policeman was. Oh my god! Education was like so. This brave girl, her older sister helped her. They took two years to plan the escape. She gets wow. out the window. She calls nine one nine one one. It's the yeah. only thing they know to do. I don't know how they even knew to even do know it. that. Yeah, they've been locked up for that whole time, and so and then the the, the parents went to prison for life, and the, the parents were devastated. Like they really loved their kids, but they were abusing them. Abusive it was to them. It, it was incredible. Yeah, wow, I'm gonna have to watch that. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> that's a real life one, and there's a lot of psychology. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that's cool. I love the real life stories. They're so interesting. Yeah. So, what do you like? Um, I heard you guys talking about the staircase one on last time's episode. I really enjoyed that too. I love the conspiracies behind. Did he do it? Did he not? All that kind of stuff. So interesting. Um, but I also watched Mindhunter, which I found really really interesting. So based in the, like, I think it's the 80s, going through different characters of, like, iconic American uh, criminals, really, really interesting as well. Now that, um, we were chatting before I started recording, I've watched about one and a half episodes which surprisingly, I know you were surprised. I was like, yes. oh, I don't know how to get into. I know. The Cameron told me what it was about, but told me the wrong thing. And then I couldn't work out what was going on. But what was interesting, those two guys in Mindhunter were mm-hmm. changing, trying to change the way that police dealt with criminals. So yes. they, it was when they were first discovering there was such a thing as serial Killers, yeah, or serial they, offenders, yeah. Yeah, they called them sequence killers. Yeah. And the first time they were getting into the psychology and marrying yeah. up psychology and forensics. Mm-hmm. I think that's why I enjoyed it so much because that's like the start of the things that I want to do. It's where it was birth essentially. So yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna persist and yes, gonna push through. Yeah, yeah. 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 I will. What else do you like? Any others? Um, there's that show about the disappearance of that young girl. And I think it's called, is it her name? Madeline? Madeline McC- Madeline McCann. Yes, her. That was amazing. I find the, I think the real life stuff really gets me because you, you can watch all these things and think, oh, but it's not true. That will never happen. But when you watch these ones that are like real life stories, it just gets me. Totally. So the parent, that's a mystery to this day because yeah. the parents were all holidaying with friends. Yeah, all together. Left the kids and that this sounds so neglectful, the fact yeah, that they're in the hotel, but they could see the hotel from where they were eating. Yep. Mm-hmm. But she got taken out the window. Yep, one went to check on her and then she wasn't there. Imagine how horrifying that would be. Oh, so wow. terrible. Can't even imagine. Um, there's another one, oh, Abducted in Plain Sight. Yes, so that one's about... I. I've watched it a while ago, so I can't really remember the whole entire story of it. But I think it's similar that these two people were 
Christian or um, had some sort of faith and they had a close friend of theirs, an uncle or something, that they let um, have heaps of involvement with their child who eventually abducted her and took her away. Unbelievable, isn't it? Insane. I just don't, you just never think that these things are real or that actually happen. I know. (laughs) You would have heard on my podcast growing up in Adelaide, we can't say where you're from, but I grew up in Adelaide, um, Mm -hmm. which you don't realise until you move away how much much it's known for its crime. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When you live there, you don't feel unsafe. You don't think, yeah, I'm sure. No, you feel like, you know. Okay, so... um, so we've talked about how you've steered your career towards uh-huh. crime. Uh-huh. Um, can you, so obviously you've got experience, which we'll talk about in a moment with the prisons. Are there yeah. some stories that you can tell us? Because you're obviously seeing from the other point of view, you're dealing with the, the people who have are the perpetrators, the, yes. the criminals themselves. Uh-huh. Um, and this is partly why we're not revealing your identity because of what you do. And obviously um, there are certain things that you can and can't say, but are there any stories that you can share from your experiences? Yeah, sure. Um, there's so many. It's like it's hard to even pick one or two stories. But, I mean, just even the like going into prison, people get so or people don't know what that kind of experience is like. So people think that, they're walking around in handcuffs or they're like locked into rooms against chains and bars. Um, but really the experience in prison, especially in like, there's different levels of security as well. So I've been in high security prisons and low security as well. Um, and in low security, it really reminds me of a campsite and people get shocked about that. People are like, what do you mean a campsite? Like there's a vending machine. Um, guys are just walking around in the ovals and they've got, um, yeah, they have all sorts. They're walking around, they're going into the gym or they're playing tennis or they're even on like Playstations or Xboxes. Um, and people always get shocked about when I describe what low security look can look like. Um, it sounds because- like lockdown. Yeah. Right. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> or it reminds me of a campsite from school, like back in the day where we would just go to this massive campsite. There's lots of ovals and you have the f- couple hours of free time before dinner. Um, it, that's what it, it reminds me of sometimes in low security. Wow. Yeah. So, um, where my grandparents used to live in Adelaide, uh-huh. they, they lived on, um, I can't remember the name of it now, but anyway, the road that the road that we would travel home on, we would go past both the men's prison and the women's okay. prison, which in Adelaide is called Yatla. Okay, the funny yeah. thing is when we moved here to Queensland, there's a beautiful suburb up the road from us called Yatla. Oh, no. You <laughs> associate them. <laughs> I said to Cameron, I really like this suburb, but we cannot live in Yatla. We can never I live here. My family in Adelaide, I live at Yatla. I'd be like, what the heck? But <laughs> I could never see the men's prison. That was always very... Um, uh, you know, like fences and you couldn't yeah. see but the women's prison was quite mm-hmm. near the road and the women would just be, it was just barbed wire fences and they would just be sitting out on picnic tables. And you could see them? You could, I could see yeah. them. And I always remember being fascinated being a 10 or 11-year-old kid. <laughs> yeah, being like, isn't that prison? What have they done? Yeah. yeah. So, like, are there any um, stories um, that you can tell us about, like, you know, crime stories of what landed people there or? Yes. Um, yes, definitely. So there, it varies. I've met a lot of people ranging from people who have um, gotten into prison because of um, drug-related crimes, so like more um, like they've sold and they've been um, found out, that kind of thing. So maybe more what we'd consider maybe more petty crimes or less violent crimes 
all the way up to people, um, yeah, murdering their parents, chopping up people, putting them in bins, that kind of like extreme, what you'd think of in documentaries, like huge range of different violent crimes. And are you allowed to know as a person that works in the prison, mm-hmm. are you allowed to know, do you know what each prisoner has, has it, done? It depends. So, like, obviously when you're walking through, like you said, at that women's prison, you just see people out. So, obviously when I'm walking through, I'll see lots of people that I'm not necessarily working with. And so the ones that I'm not working with, I'm, I don't look up or I have no really no information on unless they decide, hey, Victoria, we're going to tell you about our crimes, but that doesn't often happen. Um, But when I'm running a group or um, if I'm doing some like sort of one-on-one stuff, then I have to read up about them, get to know who they are. Um, And so, yeah, I get to go through all their reports and all the things, all the information about them beforehand. So, yeah, I get to find out the minute details about what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So you talked about the low security prison. Um, How did they get money, by the way? You said that there were vending machines (laughs) and like money. Yeah, so they have, they work. Uh-huh. So obviously to keep the prison running, there's like cleaning that, that, that's that got to be done around the actual prison. Um, and then there's like a lot of, um, I'm not sure, like um, almost like factory work. So that some some prisons, they build pallets. Some prison, prisons, they build all sorts of things for their communities that might be around them. So prisons that are closer to like farming or maybe um, fishermen that they might build some stuff for the fishermen. Um but yeah, lots of building that kind of stuff. Um, then there's also work in cooking, so to actually provide food for the prisoners, um, and they all work for quite a low wage. It's very, very low, um, but that's how they earn money. And then also, family can just send them money too. Yes, yeah, mm. yeah. Do they? Do they? Many of them get visits from their families. Yeah, so I think COVID has had a huge um, impact on that. Although some of them actually have much preferred it because because of COVID they've had to do a lot of Zoom and like Skype um, calls, video calls. And because of that, they've been able to see their pets or like maybe a grandma or a grandpa who can't have, doesn't have the ability to actually travel to a prison. Mm. Um, So, and like see their old rooms or see their backyards, that kind of thing. So um, yes, they get visits normally, but during COVID they've had like a lot of it's been online and a lot of them have actually preferred it that way too. Yeah. Okay. So how did you, I would have thought they would have put you in with the females. How come yeah. you end up in the, in the men's prison or do you do both? Um, so I've, I think there's two different um, departments that like lead the different prisons. So in the women's prison, it's a lot more internal. Whereas with the men's prison, we as workers move around the different prisons. Okay. Oh, the prison to prison. Yes. So there's not um, very many women's prisons, um, but there's obviously quite a lot more men's prisons from where I'm working in. Um, and so I've just, it just happened that I was more involved in the men's, which is shocking because like you said, I'm a smaller, younger female. So <laughs> it brings with it its challenges for sure. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, so, so let's finish off on, on what it's like in the prison. You talked about the low yeah. security. What about yes. the high security? Do you go in there and what's that yeah. like? Oh, like like the movies almost like it's it's um that's where you get the jail bar cells and if you're walking past they might cat call you or say things to you um but that's usually in the group um mindset when they're one-on-one they're not too bad but yeah it's like the fishbowl so you've got the guards in the middle and then the prison wings on all around so that the guards can really like see what's going on um, but there's no like handcuffs there. People are still able to walk around. Like if you need to speak to someone, you can take 
they can be brought from them, sell to you, and they're not handcuffed or anything like that either. Um, but usually in terms of their free time, they don't, they only get often one hour a day, maybe a couple hours a day max just to go around the oval. It's a lot less facilities, no vending machine there, that's for sure. Yeah, like no no PS4, no, no. what about like TV or no. anything? Oh, like- no, they've got the radio there, I'm pretty sure. But it's just for their, like for the um, area, they've got a state one station and that's pretty much it. Wow. Yeah. And and do they commit crimes within prison? Like is there violence? Like you can imagine men being locked up like that would be really difficult. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so much goes on in prison, both that gets reported and actually like um, gets followed through with, but a lot just goes unreported because um, there's like fighting within wings or you see sometimes I will see a guy and they'll come in and, and I'll be like, oh, how come your eyes all bruised and like, you're like got a cut. He's like, oh, we're playing basketball. So they're very much like you don't dob on people. It's very like you get called a dog and being called a dog in prison is like the worst thing you could possibly be called. Um, so, you, yeah, snitches really do get stitches in prison. So they don't share. They don't tell you. Snitches get stitches. Yeah. <laughs> so, so do you do the group therapy with both the low security and the high security? Um, I have, yes. In the past I have, yeah. So does that look different? Like if they're not handcuffed or whatever and you're with high security, mm-hmm. how are you protected? Or, or, or do you are you are you scared of them? I would be I would be a bit scared. Yeah, look, at the start I was honestly I was petrified. I was so scared. Um, but now I'm like, it's really like second nature now. I think you get over the fact that they're criminals and you realize we're just sitting down with a bunch of people and that helps, that really helps to change your mindset from being scared. Um, but in terms of like protection, there are offices in high security, there are offices, um, the room is located near the officer's rooms as well. So they they can be watching in. Um, and we also have dress alarms. So that's for if something goes wrong, you press an alarm and the room will get flooded with offices. Um, in low security, there's not really any cameras in the room. So it's really much more um, chilled and like, these guys are in low security because they've shown during their prison say that they can be stable people and they don't need to be like locked up in high security. And so they're just like in order to stay in those low security places that are like really nice facilities and that stuff, they have to not behave badly. Otherwise they'll get sent straight back to the high security. So do some people start off just in the low security because their crimes are not, not as bad or do they all start off in high security and have to earn their way into low yeah so people get confused people think that in low security um it's because their crimes are like low or like less severe but what happens is you start from high you just from yeah you start in the high security areas and you yeah you have to earn your way down to the low security so whether that's through um good behavior so you're not getting any incidents or you're not getting into fights or anything physical in prison and you're working you're really showing like a lot of initiative during your prison stay, then you will eventually move down the security ratings. So in the high security, is it group therapy as in it's like more than just you on your own with a group? Is there a couple of you with a small group? Is it you one-on-one? Like what is, I know group therapy means group, but what is the therapy like? Yeah, sure. So um, it varies prison to prison, but typically it can, it's usually two, um, two, um, what would you call them, like workers or it could be psychologist, social worker, um, two facilitators of the group. And then about, it can vary from like eight to like 12 participants 
in the actual group. They could easily overpower you. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I sit there. Sometimes I'll literally have like an out-of-body experience and think, I am sitting with 10 like really violent people. I could literally be held and killed in an instant really, but they don't. So that's nice. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this for a second. Do you think there's misperceptions about who people that have committed crimes, who they are, that we think, oh, they're so violent, you can't be in a room with them, but they're actually, they're not, they're not their crime. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, like you just, anybody, anybody, any of the things like anybody has done, you think like we look at a person for who they are first. And then you think of the the things that they've done as secondary to who they are as a person. And yeah, like I always think it's really hard for people to wrap their hands around the fact like if someone's killed someone, that's a pretty severe thing to do. And it's hard for people to think um, kind things to this person because they've obviously done something that's pretty severe. Like it's not, you know, they've not just littered or they've not just done something that's considered a lot smaller. Um, but it's so important to do that. Otherwise, how are you, I just think, how are you supposed to work with someone or work with those kind of people if all you're seeing is murderer, like, and you're just labeling them by their actual crimes, it's much easier to work with them and almost, yeah, much easier to work with them if you're looking at them for who they are first and then the crime second, I think. Yeah. So do you think that your Christian worldview comes into play here? Like, you know, like yeah. me as a me as someone that's worked with young people for 20 mm-hmm. plus years, mm-hmm. some people find teenagers rebellious or difficult or annoying. Yeah. I love them. I'm yeah. like, teenagers are the best. Uh, and yeah. all they need is for you to connect with their heart and to for someone to believe in them. That is like that's it. Yeah. Do you so how do you approach that? Because I mean, everyone does things that are wrong. Clearly, mm-hmm. if you're in prison, you've done something against the law that's yeah. probably, you know. But even that whole biblical thing about are there different kinds of sin, you know, all yeah. that, I don't know if you struggled with that one. Yeah. How does your Christian worldview come into play here? Yeah, it's so huge. I think that that's what helps me to think that way, like really humanizing them and making them look as people, you know, we are sinners saved by grace too. I've done things that I'm not proud of. Everybody's done things that they're not proud of. And sure, what they've done is actually against the law and it warrants certain consequences that maybe none of us may experience yeah. in our lifetimes. Um, but I really think that just like Jesus has given me a second chance and Jesus gives us all a second chance, that that's what we should be bringing to them as well. And I find that going in with that more empathetic, like, yes, you've you've made choices and your choices have led to certain things that are wrong. Um, you've also had a really difficult life upbringing too. And I find that having that empathy helps you to connect with them a lot better and helps them. Like if obviously if someone's looking at you and telling you off, you're not going to want to listen to them. It's much better. Like you said, if you connect truly with their heart and really empathize with them, they're much more likely to open up and share and take a lot from what you're like the therapy that you're giving them. So yeah, I think it's really important. Yeah. So you, um, you mentioned before about how the men's there's a lot more men's prisons mm-hmm. and, than women. So obviously mm-hmm. it's men that mm-hmm. are um, that are doing the majority of the crime. Mm-hmm. Do you find that there's a pattern or a reason? I, I've heard that a certain a lot a huge percentage of men in prison are fatherless, don't have a relationship with their father. Do you find, yeah. especially as a psychologist, that there's patterns mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, absolutely. And like, I'm not a professional, so I don't want to give, like, say I'm expert in the field, but from my experience, my personal experience, definitely. I think 
a lot of it is to do with, yeah, the father thing is huge. Like um, a lot of them have had either really poor relationships with their dads or their dads themselves have been offenders or um, a lot of it is like domestic violence within the home that has led to them having to protect their mums in violent ways to help them survive and, and like their survival skills that they've had to learn when they're younger, which is totally normal and things that they've had to do, has then led to things that may not have been so good in adulthood. So yeah. things that they had to learn to survive as a young kid has not really been worked on or, you know, changed in any way. And that's really led to probably a lot more negative things as they've grown older. Um, but, yeah, things like that, things like, yeah, generational um, offending and violence and, like, um, yeah, I see that a lot. But then there's also a lot of outliers. So I find that, like, some of the guys in there have had really good upbringings or from what I would understand as a good upbringing, um, and they've just gone on their own pathway. And that also brings that a lot of shame, a lot of guilt and like letting their family down and a whole other range of things that they've had to deal with as well. Yeah. Okay. So, so you see a range of people that have had poor backgrounds, people yeah. who have just made poor choices. Would you say yeah. that, that there are more people that have had the bad backgrounds than the out, you call them the outliers. I yeah, just, the outliers. So yeah. I've never heard Definitely. of that before. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Would you, would you say that there's more, more of the other kind than the outliers or? Yes, definitely. Really? More of the, um, yeah, more of the unfortunate backgrounds and the harder lifestyles that they've come from. Definitely. Yeah. I would say most people, when a crime happens, mm-hmm. everyone's sympathy understandably and of course goes to the victim Victim. absolutely yeah Um, like even last night when I was watching that about the Turpin family Mm -hmm. and Georgia and I were talking about how hard it would be to be the lawyers that had to defend the parents who did the wrong thing absolutely no and and Liam said can't they just like be really bad at their job and then <laughs> yeah. you know, like because they know that what they've done is wrong? I'm it's like, wrong, it, doesn't, yeah. it doesn't work that way. So yeah. you're someone that obviously has got a lot of empathy for the yeah. criminal themselves. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Can you talk about that? Because my yeah. heart goes, my heart goes to the to the victim. Absolutely. But then there's also often the person perpetrating has been a victim in some way too. For sure. It's that right there is it's like it's the balance between the two because you don't ever want to give um, you don't want to ever victimize someone who's actually done some wrong things and you don't want to condone their behavior because obviously they've done really terrible things a lot of the time. Um, And I often what we get um, when we do training for therapy and all that kind of thing, you often get taught that the community is our client and that's why we're helping the perpetrators because we want to make the community a safer place. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of my thoughts go to the victims because usually sometimes you can get caught in the world of helping the, um, the criminal, the person who's perpetrated, but you often have to glance at the victim and think, okay, this person's actually lived this experience and walked away and have had to deal with all of this. Um, so it's a balance to think about the two and really have to keep them in mind in order to be able to help the prisoner as well. But I think a lot of it is just really like, yeah, the, the, you have to, it is a shift of focus from the victim to the actual perpetrator and really understanding that if I help the perpetrator, it in the long run helps not only the victim, but also the community at large. And that's probably the best that I can do to support our community, really. 
That's a great way of looking at it. I never yeah. thought of that before. So by helping the criminal, you're helping the community. Yeah. Because a lot of people say, why would you like, why would you work with criminals? Why would you support them? Why would you want to help re- like rehabilitate them? They should just be locked up and kept there for life. They've done what they've done. They've made those choices, like leave them there. But really helping them is going to help us in the long run, especially if they're released into our community. You know, you want them to be the best version of themselves that they can be. Yeah. And and as a Christian, like you were saying before, second chances, grace, the grace of God, forgiveness. Yeah. Um, but then I can understand if someone's killed someone mm-hmm. that um, it's it's out of our understanding that that God forgives, Absolutely. but there's still there's still consequence for yeah. that person. Yeah. And you're very big on and passionate about humanizing yes. the the criminals. Yeah. Is that again because is that the best way forward to help the perpetrator? I think so. I think like how what how else are we supposed to help them apart from realizing that they're people first and working on the things that they may have lacked as a person? And I really think that a lot of the crimes that they commit are a result of a lot of underlying trauma and pain and things that are going on for them. And when I say that, people think, oh, you're just excusing their behavior because you're making them the victim, right? But I think that it's important to look at that stuff first in order to understand why they did what they did. But at the end of the day, they always made a choice. So there's always a choice. Yes, often it's a choice between a hard and another hard thing. And usually they don't get much um, opportunity and much thing, things that like I've had the opportunity to go to university and, and study and take time to do that. And sometimes they don't get those opportunities. But we always make it clear, especially during therapy, that it's always a choice that you can make. Yes, it may not have been... Um, you may not have had all the opportunities that everybody else has had, but at the end of the day, you made a choice. And so the onus is on them to take responsibility for their offending. And for us, it's about helping them understand that in the context of all the things that they've gone through as well. So it's one really big thing. It's not just saying you've done this, let's fix you on this, like one violent crime. It's a whole world of things that are going on for them. Yeah, totally. And yeah. and I guess from my perspective, even again, thinking about that documentary that I watched last yeah. night, there were two sisters. Now one went on to have the 13 children and abuse them. And the other sister who suffered the same trauma, by the way, they'd been abused and um, had quite a bit of childhood trauma. The other mm-hmm. sister made good decisions. And exactly. she did say, she goes, I went through the same thing as my sister. Our mm-hmm. half-brother brother went through the same thing. But her, she made she made these life choices and I made these life choices. And so yeah. it probably comes down to when you said it a second ago, and I think this is true for everyone in life, and mm-hmm. I've actually done a whole podcast on this, is it's about taking responsibility. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the rate, though, I've heard from other people that have worked with prisoners that I think they call it, is it the reticent rate, the rate of them returning? Uh, yeah, res- recidivism, yeah. Recidivism, yeah. Re- yeah, whatever that, I've heard that. Yeah, it's a hard word. I can't say the word, recidivism, whatever. It, I always get confused. <laughs> I've heard that it's right up around 70%, that most of them uh, re-offend. Yeah. Is that is that true? And is that frustrating to someone like you who's trying to help them knowing that 70% are going to reoffend? Yeah, it obviously varies from person to person, but that's roughly um, where it would be at. And it is frustrating because like sometimes I've sat with my supervisors and been like, he's going to come back at least two or three times before he gets it. Like we, we're doing as much as we can, but at the end of the day, 
especially with some of the guys who might be younger and are still really into the world of crime and especially the drug scene is a huge um, influencer on this, I think. Um, Sometimes you just have to accept the fact that they may come in a couple more times before they actually make any changes. And it is, it's kind of, it can be disheartening. So you really try and not um, let it get to you because you just got to do the best that I can do to support and help them. But yeah, it's true. Often a lot of them will come back in and sometimes you sit there and think, yep, you're going to come back in or no, I think you might actually be okay out there. So yeah. Yeah. I've heard that when they when they leave prison, and this because uh, is because I know someone that helps support men, young men, when they come out of prison. Mm-hmm. Often, when they are released, mm-hmm. there's not a lot of support for them. They don't have any family. They don't have anywhere yeah. to go. Do you know much about what happens after prison? Yeah, it's really it's really hard, and obviously, it varies from state to state and prison to prison. Um, but a lot of like a lot of the guys tell me. And whether it's right or wrong or true or false, um, they say sometimes we offend so we can come back into prison because living in those low security prisons is actually a lot better than us being homeless in in our communities. Um, And especially for those guys, yeah, who don't have a lot of family, who may not need, like may not have certain fundings, who are able to work and do these things. It's actually really hard for them. Like they go out to nothing some of the times, most of the times really, yeah. Is that a flaw in our system? Do we need to, like, how come, I mean, obviously keeping keep, keeping people in prison would cost millions of dollars. It would cost yeah. the government so much money. Yeah. Do we need to be putting more money into what happens when they come out? I mean, that some of that, the support afterwards, and especially in the first few months, I personally think is so crucial. If they're in a, a good housing place with um, a job lined up for them, they are so much more, like, these are the things that we um, check for in terms of their level of risk when they go back into the community. So they've, if they've got st- stable employment, if they've got stable housing, those are things that are going to decrease their risk of coming back into prison. Um, and so, yeah, huge. I think it, we need to be doing a lot more to do the support work afterwards as well. Um, yeah. But it's just like, how do you how do you do that? It's so hard. A lot of these, a lot of the housing places are then full of criminals who then get into bad things within these places. And you know what I mean? It's really hard. Yeah, they meet they meet new friends that are yeah. into the same kind of stuff. Exactly. And also, I mean, who wants to take the risk to let a criminal come and work for them? Exactly. For an employer. Yeah. So it's a huge risk on the community as well yeah. to go, okay, we want to help you rehabilitate, knowing that there's a 70-something percent reticent <laughs> rate. <laughs> um, that, that's a risk for, for everybody involved as well yeah do you think this is a really big question this is a (laughs) question Uh (laughs) you've done seven years of study six years yeah I should be professional Uh, yeah yeah. do you think prison is the answer yeah such a hard question um I think no no right or wrong and no yeah I know well the short answer is I don't know but I think that especially like in the low security prisons, and I know um, some places overseas in like Switzerland and the Netherlands are really forward in their, um, what they do in their prisons. So they say that prison, like the consequence of being removed for the, from the community should be the punishment, but the way that they're treated and the facilities within prison shouldn't be an additional um, thing. So I think some prisons have much nicer facilities and especially with the low security, I think it can be quite rehabilitating. Um but the high security, I think, is it's useless. It's not helpful. It's not good for the guys. It's actually, if anything, making them 
more into that criminal profile, that criminal person with those criminal attitudes because they're so like they're just it's just like a little nutshell of all these yeah criminal mindsets. They're still doing illegal activities within the prisons. It's very I think high security is not the answer for sure. Yeah, just makes them more angry, more aggressive, yeah. more yeah. yeah. You talked a second ago about criminal profiling. Yes. You also work with young people. I do. <laughs> you know I'm a teacher, right? And yes. I'm yeah. honestly, I not that I can predict when a kid's going to become a criminal, but mm-hmm. I taught prep prep for a long time yeah. and I used to always say to people, I can tell by looking in a kid's eyes if they're really naughty. Like some kids are naughty but they've got a really good heart, right? Yeah. But yeah. Every now and then I would have a kid that I'd be like, you are just like, yeah. I you worry me. Yeah, you scare me. Their eyes. I'm like, oh my god, what are you going to yeah. do with your life? Um, can you see working with young people? You know, this whole profiling. Are there people, young people, at risk of of offending? And yeah, you, um, yeah, I think so. I think it's really hard because it's like you don't you want to see the best in your young people, yeah. especially working yeah in that kind of area. You just yeah you don't want to put that on their lives and you don't want to have those kinds of thoughts about people. But at the end of the day, yes, like you can definitely see it. But I think it's got to do with that whole like lack of support. There's people they don't have the um, people in their lives who that who like you mentioned a while ago, um, who genuinely are interested in their heart and who they are. And I think just one person to make that difference. I remember um, one guy, one prisoner talking about how he had this one particular teacher two years in a row and those whole two years he got straight A's and because he's a really bright um, person and he got straight A's and didn't get into trouble once for those whole two years because this teacher really believed in him and really supported him and took that extra mile to like, yeah, just pour into that um, kid's life. And he said those two years were the best years of his life. He was probably like six or seven and now he's a lot older and he's looking back on his six and seven year old self and saying, those are the best years of my life because I felt supported. Um, and so, and that's a huge thing, I think, and I'm sure you would know to put on teachers because their they're role is to teach, not to be a mum or a dad and all, all these other roles that often they get like lumped with as well. I don't know. Yeah, you must have a lot more idea about this than I would, but I think that it really is important to be supporting them before all this stuff happens rather than being like reactive. It's really, that's the only way it could change or make a difference, a big difference. I I was really big when um, on on teaching, I was massive and passionate about if I could win the kid's heart, then I could teach their mind. Absolutely. I always went that way first. And Cameron to this day, because Cameron was a really naughty kid at school, (laughs) and it's just hilarious that he married. That's so funny. (laughs) Yeah. His teachers now are like, you what? You married a teacher? That's that's so funny. Not possible. But but Cameron would always say, he he reckons I was like with him like I was with the naughty kids the, the naughty boys particularly I loved the naughty boys I'm like give me the naughty boys because yeah. often they weren't really naughty they had the most beautiful hearts and so I would aim to win their heart and then I could teach their mind yeah that's so good you know like you were saying that that person that guy that you were talking about that remembers yeah he had for two years in a row what yeah. if he teaches like that the rest of the way through high absolutely he wouldn't have ended up offending and you don't know yeah you just don't know and that's why I think your work with young people and everyone here that listens that works with young people it's so important because maybe the answer is more prevention rather than the cure absolutely I and completely agree yeah uh, 
believing in these young people. I mean, we've got a few young people in our youth group that are in the foster system or in the, um, they're in the child safety system. They can't find them a foster home. And um, it's probably one of the reasons Georgia went into social work was because she, she saw these kids and it's like, they're neglected from the start. They've got, they've got a bad start to life. And, you know, I think our job as the Christian community is is to be looking out. I mean, there's so many needs I know, but this is a huge one where I think we we can make a big difference. Absolutely. Um, okay, we've been we're we're going good. We'll we'll finish soon. I think we've been going for about, oh, I don't know, 40 minutes maybe. Oh but I love it when we go longer. They're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this is this is a longer podcast. Okay, tell me this one. Challenges of working as uh in a prison as a female. Any any feminism in there? Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, well, like you mentioned, I, I, when I went in, I was like, I'm a young girl. I'm going to be like, not abused, but people are going to say all sorts of things. I'm, I'm like, I'm scared for my actual safety. Um, yes. I think it's actually a lot from the officers as well as the prisoners, which is strange because you think like, okay, you work in a rehabilitative Field. So you should be a lot more proactive in like how you speak to people, how you treat people, and especially role modeling that to the prisoners. But they say some nasty comments. They say some real like sexist things. And I'm talking like women should be seen, not heard, like like extreme kind of stuff. Yeah. And so then you and then I remember a story about some um, an officer making that comment, and then the prisoner being like, "See what we have to deal with," and just that like it's just a strange picture to think that the prisoner is saying look at what the things that we're dealing with to the officer it's just such a strange yeah. thing yeah like the prisoner knew the officer was knew better yeah <laughs> should have known better <laughs> yeah yeah so that kind of stuff is um yeah it's interesting but I find that usually when you're working one-on-one or in the group setting they're always respectful um I think selfishly for them it's because they know if they like if they treat us well they'll get better reports and it'll look better for them but um yeah things like I, um, going in, we get, I get called often miss. Um, whereas the men prison uh, officers will be called boss. So there's that like difference between, Oh, you're miss and that, Oh, they're the boss. We listen to them and they're like in charge, but you're just miss or the girl that comes and like helps us. So yeah. Miss, miss is also like for a younger girl. If I walked in, they'll probably call me ma'am. And then I'd want to punch them. I hate it when people call me ma'am. I'm ma'am. Like, <laughs> what the heck? that's just like offensive but yeah (laughs) um and do they I mean do they have the attitude of what can this girl do to help me Um, I think think they at the start they might be like what like what could this young girl possibly offer and do to any like what would she know kind of thing which is true because a lot of the time like I've grown up in a really um protected way and like I've had um, quite sheltered life so coming into this was quite extreme for me yes. um, and so they're right a lot of the time I've got no idea like I've not lived your life I've not done that but I think acknowledging that helps them to be like okay like she at least knows where she, her place is like she knows that she's not knowing everything we always say you're the expert of your life I'm just here to help guide you on the way that society thinks is best to behave so if you're right. the expert of your life we can really work well together because I know some things that might help you you know your life really well um, hopefully we can work together kind of thing. Yeah. Have you ever formed, <clears throat> I, I can't think of another word other than to say a special bond or <laughs> had a real kind of, you know, like a soft, a, a soft heart in particular towards a particular prisoner or, you know, formed like a, 
Yeah, yeah. Like not in a, yeah. <laughs> not, not in a weird way. Not yeah. in a weird way. But yeah, no, I think the ones that, so that guy that I was talking about, the one that had the teacher for the two years, um, definitely had a soft, more of a softer spot for him because of he was talking a lot about his childhood and while he was um, in his teen years and a lot of the trauma that he had experienced then, um, I could see that in some of the young people that I've worked with as well. And so that was really like eye-opening to see the one end of the spectrum where he's at and then still being knowing people from the other side and thinking, okay, like it kind of gave me like light of my passion to be like, I need to focus on this end because this end is just reactive. It's just like, the other side of it but I can actually help these people to not experience that as well so yeah, yeah. wow oh I've loved this conversation <laughs> um okay so I had I had all these notes but I'm skirts I think we've, we've kind of covered most let's finish with um some quick fire crime questions sure and maybe anything else that you want to add or tell us that you haven't had a chance to okay all right quick fire crime questions for Vic <laughs> What's the most common crime? Oh, um, I think drug-related stuff is one I've experienced the most. When you say drug-related, meaning? Yeah, so like selling and being caught for it, like having too much in your possession, that kind of stuff. Ooh, younger yeah. people or any age? Younger people. Ooh, okay. mm. don't do drugs, guys. <laughs> don't do drugs. <laughs> On average, how many times would a prisoner return to jail? Yeah, at least like three or four times. Like that's a, I reckon that would be close to a minimum. Minimum three mm. to four. I reckon. Okay, that's a bit depressing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, we've already done how do they uh how do they treat you as a female? Mm-hmm. Kind of done that one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Most common misconception about a perpetrator. Oh, so many. Um, oh, this is a good one. Uh, I think that the way they treat you. So people think, oh, if they're violent, like they've done this and they're going to treat you really badly or say really rude things. But like usually we end up cracking up in, in our group or even in our one-on-ones laughing because we're just having a good old time and forget sometimes that therapy actually needs to be done. They're just normal people. I think that's the thing. You forget that they're normal people for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are most people sorry for what they've done? Oh, that's a good one. That's a hard one. Um, I think yes. They are sorry for it. I think if they could redo it, they wouldn't do it. But sometimes they think that they had no choice. So maybe it's the take responsibility that they're not sure about. But are they sorry? I'd say yes. Okay. Yeah. Parenting tip. Always make sure that your kids know how to say sorry. <laughs> I think a repentant heart is, is good. Heart. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, here's another quick fire. And I didn't prepare you for this one. Uh-oh. Do many people, as a Christian, do many mm-hmm. Many of the prisoners uh, have a relationship with God. Mm, good question. Um, I've only met a couple, but that's because of just the random group of selection of people I've worked with. But they have chapel, so they do have, like, people who come in and speak. So I think there are a few. A few of them actually have come to know God since being in prison, yeah. Is chapel um, uh, not compulsory, the other one? <laughs> voluntary? Like, do, do they just go if they want to or do they have yeah. to go? No, no, it's voluntary. The ones that the prisons I've worked in is voluntary. Yeah. And do many of them go to chapel? Um, I think a few, like if a pop, not heaps, I reckon it would be a smaller number of the population, maybe like 10%, 5% of the whole prison. Um, but the ones that do actually like get really involved and, you know, they love to worship and they'll talk about it, they get really involved in it. So they're building genuine relationships with God when they do go. But yeah, it's not a huge amount of the population that do go. 
I, I know I did try and get the Youth Alive Academy students into the detention centre. I had a couple of meetings mm-hmm. here in Brisbane um, at Waco with the, the junior offenders. Okay, I, yeah. With the junior offenders. I met with the people that work with them. <laughs> and they yeah. were keen to get the academy students in there and working yeah. with them mm-hmm. um, because they thought that would be great young people working with young people. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. red tape was crazy. We never got past the red tape. And even though they wanted us, the next level up said no. So yeah. it's like, guys, we're trying to help here a bit. Oh, no, I know. Okay, last last quick fire question. Do you think that people can truly change? I think yes. That brings I, hope. Yes, it brings hope. And I think, yeah, people have the opportunity to change. And especially knowing God, anything can happen. Anything's possible with God. So Yes. Yeah. And you've seen evidence of that, I guess. Yeah. Although, I mean, I know your experience is kind of, you know, at the start, but yeah. No, definitely. Oh, Victoria, this has been the best conversation, the most eye-opening. I, I think it would have inspired some people who maybe haven't thought of this route, route before of the psychology and working with offenders. Mm-hmm. It's definitely inspired. a niche area. <laughs> Yeah. Is there anything else that you want to add or anything that you didn't get a chance to say? Uh, just probably the only thing is adding that, like being a Christian in the actual prison really helps me to like keep my peace and my cool about things. I think that it's like in any kind of field of work, but especially in one that's a bit more scary. It's like, what a blessing that I get to have God and then actually like pray before things and um, have, I think that extra level of discernment where you can actually see people's characters come through is, it's really cool. It's, I love the field of work. And I would recommend it to people who are studying social work or psychology or any of this kind of area. It's it's a really interesting area. Yeah, I'm going to make sure that Georgia listens to this. <laughs> it's good. This is why I love podcasts. It opens up people's eyes to different things that they can do with their life. And it sounds like this is a big area of need. Yes, absolutely. Like you. Yeah. Oh, Victoria, honestly, what an amazing person you are. Um, so Thank young you. and so much experience in such an unusual field. Mm-hmm. Um, I would love to hear back in a year or two to see Absolutely. where you are, and especially once you finish study. Are you going to go on to hopefully get a, a job in the? Are you already working part time in the? Yes, pre- yes, I'm already working part time. So hopefully, when I'm finished studying, I'll get a full time job um, within the prisons. That's what. That's my aim. That's my hope for sure. Amazing. Yeah. Oh. Well, it's been a pleasure talking to you and for all of those of you listening, thank you for joining us and come back next week because next week we're going to talk to a lady who's a criminologist who lectures at a university here in Brisbane. It's going to be very, very eye-opening. Thanks, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye.